0: want to begin a series uh, on this new Facebook page, uh, Morning Devotions, a, a series where we're applying the principles of discernment, spiritual discernment, spiritual sightedness together using the teachings of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. There's a section in Ephesians where Paul gives what you could call imperatives or he begins to give application. But before we can really effectively apply these imperatives to our life, um we have to we have to continually keep that that those boundaries of spiritual discernment or we'll get off course. So think it through just this idea that I've been unpacking with you over the last few weeks of what does success look like when you actually understand spiritual discernment and and what we're really talking about is as a Christian beginning to open yourself up to the to the path that Jesus has for you which is the way of the cross and the way of the cross becomes a, a, in a way, a, a, not just a boundary, but a guiding principle for your life. David Benner, who is such an elegant writer, and in his book, um, Desiring the Will of God, he says this, Walking the sacred way of the cross allows me, therefore, to participate in Christ's suffering but more it puts my suffering in perspective and gives it meaning because at the end of the way of the cross is the resurrection. I think this is a powerful quote because I have not been able, even studying discernment, trying to understand the wisdom of God, I've never been able to avoid suffering, especially not in its entirety. And so what he's saying here is as I begin to, dedicate myself, commit myself to the way of the cross, my suffering gets connected to Christ himself and his suffering, but also it gives my suffering meaning. It's very important. We live in a society that sees everything as random. You're in an accident. Uh, suffering itself is random and therefore is meaningless. Sacrifice has no meaning. And so what we're saying is the cross puts suffering in perspective, but it also gives meaning. So this allows us, as we are willing to take this way of the cross, it allows us in our, in our discernment to always choose God. You can only choose God if you have this kind of receptive openness, but also that you have this attentiveness to the God who is there. Now, one of the things that's important, and as we go through this series, I hope to come back to this again and again, and that is that the desires in your own heart matter. Now, it's not that some of the desires are, you know, some of your desires are evil, some of your desires are contradictory. Yes, of course. But God operates in that place of desires. Some of your deepest longings ultimately They arise from God's desire for you. Getting in touch with, uh, learning the subtle movements, and staying attentive to God in your inner being is the secret to this way of the cross which leads to resurrection. So therefore, as we look at even scriptural commandments, what God is asking is not for you to, you know, screw up your will and... In all your power, with grim determination, try to do what you don't want to do. Rather, he's asking you to to live with consent for him to cleanse, to heal, to strengthen. As we look in the next few days, we're going to look at some of these scriptural commandments, things that God wants you to do, things that God wants for you. And there's a gap, usually, between what the Scripture says we should be doing and what we are doing. If you look at that gap in a wrong way, you'll just make it worse. But if you look at that gap as a place where God is saying, Will you give me consent to heal you? Will you give me consent to strengthen you? Will you give me consent to cleanse you? And if that's so, then that's our yes... Responding to God's yes to us. You know, choosing God brings life, but that life comes through death. This is the whole idea of the way of the cross. This is the sacrificial success mystery that lies at the heart of our faith. True life comes from death to my efforts, to my own self-salvation strategies, my efforts to live in any way. Apart from surrendering to God. So, finding myself means losing myself. Christian life is always resurrection life. That means it's life that emerges from death. Resurrection life cannot happen unless it starts with death. So, as we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow Jesus, then we are in the path of resurrection life where the The gap from where we are to where we can be is bridged by the resurrection life of Christ. Jesus was so clear in Matthew 16, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, let him renounce himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This call to pick up the cross is not necessarily an invitation to martyrdom. I mean, it can be. But like Jesus, we can be certain that we're going to face, une- you know, for us anyway, we're going to face unexpected circumstances. People are going to do things that surprise us, that disappoint us. And here's the, the, the question then is, is am I going to make the choice of saving my life by losing my life, or am I going to lose my life by trying to save my life by living by my autonomous or independent self. So we have a choice always. Will I walk with Jesus on the way of the cross? It's precisely in the midst of these acts of self-denial that we face the opportunity to encounter resurrection life. So what what is this saying? Well, it, it means that That the life of success, the life of resurrection power, is a counterintuitive life. Jesus is calling us to embrace things we would never naturally choose. To pick up, to carry the instrument of our suffering, which will become the instrument of crucifixion of our own willful self. Even Jesus' own disciples, and, and this is where I found this teaching so helpful is, yes, Jesus had this ultimate cross. But Jesus bore a cross daily. And and when he says this, take up your cross daily and follow me. See, Jesus' disciples lived in unbelief of Jesus. The religious leaders lived in opposition to the one they were supposed to be dedicated to, and yet they did not even... Um, see him or know him and so we have this account where Jesus having to live with this disappointment in the people he had chosen and the people who supposedly were devout in their religious beliefs we have this account in Matthew 17 where he stands before a man with epilepsy and the disciples had been unable to heal him And the the Word of God says it is because they lack the faith to believe that he could be healed. So Jesus spoke harsh and critical words to them. He said, faithless and perverse generation. How much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? I love it that the scriptures show Jesus in this very human response to disappointment. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't cliche it. He 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 radically honest with it, then he says, "Bring this man to me; he rebukes the devil, and this son is completely is completely cured. You know this is a glimpse of the private cross that Jesus had to learn to bear. Now the the physical thing he would say, "You know the birds have nests, the foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now physically we under we, we can understand that. But we're seeing here that even spiritually and emotionally, there were no safe places. There were no places where he was understood. There were no places where those even who were the closest to to whom he revealed himself the deepest, they still didn't understand. And he had to live with this kind of daily carrying the cross. In other words, these who were most opposed to him, these who most in a way, did not understand him his message or or his his authority were the very ones that he would die on a cross for 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 his own oppressors, for his own you know negligent and faith, faithless and perverse generation is exactly the ones he was dying for now here's what this means for us if you're going to walk with Jesus you're going to encounter some of the same opposition, some of the same resistance, some of the same misunderstanding, some of the same suffering. And it won't be because you did wrong, it would be because you're doing what is right. And in the midst of that sometimes challenging path, this way of the cross, you have to ask yourself, am I open to the Lord, to the very depths of my being? Have I first... And foremost, abandon myself to Him, my whole self. Have I abandoned myself to the love? In other words, am I still questioning as I look at circumstances, as I encounter people, as things go in my life? Am I still asking, God, do you love me? God, are you good? See, you must abandon yourself that He loves you and that He is good no matter what you're facing or what you're facing will overwhelm you instead of you overcome it. See, apart from such openness, such receptiveness to the love and to the goodness of God in in the land of the living, then we're not really seeking God. What we're doing is we're seeking something from God instead of seeking God. And he will always, at some point in any Christian's life, he will withhold even answers that he can say yes to. He will say no so that it will be clarified, am I seeking God for God or am I seeking something from God? He wants you to seek his face, not just what he can provide. And so if we're open to God and we're doing as we've talked about in throughout this discern series, if we're attentive to his presence, even in our disappointment, he promises we will know that presence. If we're seeking, if we're attentive to God, we can always know that God is first seeking and attentive to us. So this idea of open receptiveness, this idea of consent, is really a choice that you make to surrender to the very kingdom of God. And this cannot arise out of out of you trying to promote the kingdom of self. Anything that we do in the kingdom of self is done by means of willpower. And that is not enough to enter. It's not enough to live or be sustained within the kingdom of God. It is the surrendered will, not your willpower, that sustains you in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. So this is where, again... We see the gap. We're going to see, here's what Paul says Christ wants for you. This is what Jesus wants for you. And there's going to be a gap between where you are and where you should be. And the question is, will you try by willpower to make up that gap? Or will you say the gap tells me that I need to now be changed by the Holy Spirit? I need to give the Spirit of Christ consent now to heal, to cleanse to strengthen because he needs to be the agent of change and he needs to be the dynamic or the power of the change. He's looking for your consent, not your willpower. You see some place where you're broken, don't say, Lord, I'll try to do better. Rather, say, Lord, this is where I need your healing presence. And if he's showing you where you are broken, he's doing it so he can heal you. But I see so often people getting this wrong. What they do is they feel the guilt of where they are versus where they should be or could be. And they begin to make promises. This time I'm, gonna, I'm really going to change. This time I really mean business, God. This time I'm really ready to surrender. But, but when they're talking about surrender, they're really saying I want more fuel for my willpower. Not really genuine surrender. I can't do it myself. I only can rely on you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I will do nothing of my own initiative. Jesus himself says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. You see, it has to be genuine surrender, not just guilt surrender, fueled by guilt. See, willing, in a willful manner, that is relying on your willpower, is still living a willful life, not a surrendered life. And you'll see, and you look back in your life, and you realize where you were trying to make God the assistant in your rise of the kingdom of self, he has not participated. And so the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self are like oil and water. They just do not mix. This is why Jesus says, Jesus not trying to take life away from you he's trying to give life to you when he says take up your cross daily deny yourself follow me say yes to the cross say no to self and follow jesus well we're going to look at really closely what it looks like in practical ways particularly in ephesians chapter 4 we're going to look at what the will of god is for every believer now, the reason I'm picking Ephesians 4 and 5 for us to look at is because the circumstances of the believers in Ephesus, and the letter was written as a regional letter, you know, and some people say it was actually written to Asia, Asia Minor, as it was called in those days, because Ephesus was the center of that region. And the circumstances that they live in, or lived in in those days, are very similar to us. And so. As we're looking and and studying these scriptures together, we're recognizing that we can do nothing of our own initiative, but we're responding to God's word and we're responding to what the Spirit is doing. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in the story of Ephesus, you can see so clearly in a very dark time, in a very dark place, that the Spirit was already at work before the word even came. Here's what Acts 19 says. Paul uh, is with, um, uh, or Luke is writing about Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And he says, he went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But many were hardened in their hearts in the synagogue and they did not believe. They actually spoke evil of the way. That was what the, That's what the Christian faith was called, the way. They spoke evil of the way before the multitudes, before the congregation. So Paul departed from them and he separated the disciples from the synagogue and he began to dispute or teach daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by space of two years so that all that dwelt in Asia, listen to this, all that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, why is this, you know, so important? Well, notice the result. Here's Paul. Yes, he's he's encountering a challenge in the synagogue among his own kindred, you know, among, among his own, you know, fellow countrymen. But he leaves there he finds a place to minister. Some people say that Paul taught or preached like 2000 hours in less than 3 years in Ephesus. And what happened is the word it says, and this is a spiritual talk about spiritual discernment. Listen what it's saying. The word of the Lord Jesus was heard throughout Asia. This isn't just hyperbole. This this means there was a sweeping move of the Holy Spirit in that region that emanated from Ephesus and came through the preaching of the Word of God. I can't tell you how much I long for this very same thing to happen in our lives and in our day, that a small group of us could get such success and such fruit in our region that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would go forth and it would touch the hearts and the lives of an entire region. And here it says both Jews and Greeks. Now, listen, Ephesus was no easy place. It was the center in those days of influence and power. It it was the capital of this area called um, Asia Minor that at that time was called Asia. It was one of the most beautiful cities of Greek culture. It had, it had embraced the civilization, the culture, the cultivation of the, of the Greek or Hellenistic culture. It was one of the places that was the foremost uh, expression of the Greek philosophy and the Greek thinking. But it was also a rich place of commerce. So therefore, people from all over the world came and lived in Ephesus. It was a city of wealth and power. Uh, one writer compares it in many ways to San Francisco. I would compare it to New York City. There was this immense gathering of the whole world in this place to experience the religious culture, the philosophy, and the commerce. And so the Apostle Paul went there, and there he began to preach the gospel. You know, uh, this city of Ephesus is also written to, the church is written to in the book of Revelation. That's how big this work of God was. It's mentioned not only in Acts, a book or a letter written to the, to the region, and then in Revelation it's mentioned again. So this was one of the most important cities in the world. And there were two obstacles that the apostles encountered. The apostle Paul particularly here encountered in Ephesus, and that was the, the stranglehold of religion and the stranglehold of, of the occult. And so you had, you had religious and religiosity, which, which was basically self-salvation strategies, how I can make myself approved to God or make God uh, demand of God uh, love or that God owes me something. Or even the idea of the occult and the idea that I will turn to the darkness because I can't control uh, things in my life. I want power so much that I will sell my soul and give whatever I am and whatever I have to the dark side in order to get power. And this was true in Ephesus. It was a place of superstition, of fear. It was demonized. It was dark. It was known as one of the darkest cities in the whole world. It was devoted to sex. Was devoted to religion. There was a temple of the goddess Artemis, or in, uh, that's the Greek, and in, uh, in uh, Roman Diana. And it was it was a a wonder of the world. Tourists traveled from all over the the Roman Empire to see it. And so this center of witchcraft is where the Apostle Paul comes and assaulted the strongholds of evil with the weapons of spiritual warfare. One writer said it this way, and this is why I like this so much, uh, this idea so much. God never wins his battles by majority vote. He always uses a relatively small band of people who, working with a different approach than the world has available, are able in a fantastic way to affect whole cities, whole areas, whole nations by the effectiveness of their methods and the power that is available to them one of the things that as dark as Ephesus was, God was already at work. God had been preparing a people for himself in the midst of that city. You see, Apollos had come before and he had spoken to them all of the teachings and all the message of John the Baptist. And so there was a group of people in Ephesus who were waiting for the Messiah because the way had been prepared and they were waiting to hear the announcement of the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul came in, he found a waiting group of people who were seeking the truth. They had not yet heard, they were ignorant of the work of Jesus. They did not know of the wonders of Pentecost. They had not ever understood the existence of the Holy Spirit as distinct from the Father, and the work of the Spirit in human salvation and also in separating them in holiness and giving them power for living. You see, but God had in this remarkable way prepared the way that when Paul preached Jesus, they responded and they experienced the same signs and wonders that had been experienced at Pentecost. And so there's this preparation of God and then there's this fulfillment of the gospel and of the work of the Spirit through the Apostle Paul. See, Paul entered this great city, began this work already with the Holy Spirit making a way, and the Spirit confirming through signs and wonders, even through the the power of tongues, which they had seen at Pentecost, was seen again to confirm God is on the move. God is at work. This is the true and living God. This is the Messiah. It's an amazing story of how God was making a way in the darkness, but it was that way of the cross. So here's what I'm concluding with today is this. The point of developing a discerning heart is not to focus on the darkness, not to focus on the difficulties or the obstacles. So It's not that you ignore them, but it's to focus on God. Discernment is a tool that helps us to learn to choose God no matter what we're facing. It's being attentive in the midst of difficult circumstances that God is on the move. And usually it's not just that he's on the move like he was in Ephesus where Apollos was already there and John's teaching was already there and Paul could just kind of walk into these commanded blessings. But rather it's God's on the move in your own heart. In your trusting him that what he did in Ephesus, he can do in, in your region, he can do in your family, can do in your life. But you have to be sensitive and in touch and attentive to where, where he's moving in your heart. Recognizing that even feelings and desires and visions that are from God will be provided for by God. Recognizing these markers, we walk into, even like Paul did in Ephesus, we walk into the work of Christ and we walk into the blessings again this was so helpful to me this teaching by this uh, psychologist margaret silf where she talks about when you're drifting from god then everything that god does to bring you back to him feels like he's disturbing you he's churning you up because you're not in touch you're not attentive and so he destabilizes what you're trying to stabilize and you can get in, you can get so mad at God because he's taken away your comfort or he's taken away what you thought would make you safe or secure. But you see, God will not let you go and he will, he will discomfort you so that he can become your comfort. But if you are in everything saying, well, my focus is on God, and on what God is doing, then what happens is the opposite effect of his nearness to you begins to take place. When God is touching you, you feel at peace. You know you're on solid ground, even if it's chaos all around you. See, if you're attending to your own kingdom, then God's not resourcing that kingdom. But if you're attending to the kingdom of God and watching for the markers of his presence, then you're gonna live a true life. You take up your cross, You deny self because the one who loses his life is the one who gains his life. Are you drifting or are you moving intentionally with your focus on the subtle movements of God? God turned Ephesus into a center of gospel life. God wants to use us to turn our region into a center of gospel life. In Jesus' name, amen.